the score, the epic sweep of the music turns him into the legend of Lawrence of Arabia. I'm Jennifer Hembrick, midday host of Classical 101, WOSU Public Media in Columbus. I'm John Sherman, Associate Professor of Film at Kenyon College in Gambier, Ohio. This is Sound Reels, Classical 101's film music podcast with a look at Maurice Jarre's score for the 1962 film Lawrence of Arabia. This film is known for its expansive visuals, but don't think Maurice Jarre's score is mere background music. If anything, the music augments the visuals, giving the film's expansive views of the Middle Eastern desert even broader sweep and greater power. Lawrence of Arabia is one of the classics. It's in the top five of the American Film Institute's list of 100 greatest American movies of all time, and its score is number three on the American Film Institute's list of 25 greatest film scores of all time. Directed by David Lean, the film won 10 Academy Awards. It was actor Peter O'Toole's breakout film, and it brought to the world's attention the incredible real-life story of T.E. Lawrence, the British military commander who helped lead the Arab revolt against the Turks during World War I. Maurice Jarre's score for Lawrence of Arabia won Jarre his first Academy Award. He also won an Oscar and a Golden Globe Award for his scores for Dr. Zhivago and A Passage to India. And he won Golden Globe Awards for Gorillas in the Mist and A Walk in the Clouds, among other films. Maurice Jarre has been called one of the giants of film music, and his score for Lawrence of Arabia shows him early on in this illustrious career. Yes, and David Lean is one of the great visual stylists in the history of cinema. He's a British director, but incredibly influential to film directors like Steven Spielberg because he is someone who will never, almost never rely on dialogue to tell a story when he can show a picture instead. And I think the score really does him a great service in this film because when you're watching the film, when you see Lawrence and actually listen and pay attention to the score, I think what it's doing is it is sort of elevating him from just an exceptional person capable of performing great feats into the legend of Lawrence of Arabia as the scene develops. And I think it's the music, the epic sweep of the music that turns him into the legend of T.E. Lawrence. So let's listen to a few clips to see how this transformation happens. This scene, Claude Rains, who plays Dryden, a British diplomat in Arabia, is enlisting Lawrence to work with the Arab tribes in their revolt against the Turks. Yeah, so the first clip is one of the more famous moments in the movie. It starts off with just a very simple dialogue scene between Claude Rains and Peter O'Toole. Oh, thanks, Dryden. This is going to be fun. And Claude Rains is talking about how he's going to send Lawrence out into the desert. Take it from me. For ordinary men, it's a burning, fiery furnace. No, Dryden, it's going to be fun. What a strange sense of fun Lawrence has, because Lawrence is telling Claude Rains that he's going to enjoy this. It is recognized that you have a funny sense of fun. 
And here we get what's called a match cut. It's a, one of the more famous match cuts in all of cinema. We go from a close-up of the lit match to the sun of the desert. As you're listening to the scene, the score is a little odd at first. It's kind of discordant. It makes us anxious, like maybe something bad is going to happen and starts to build to this unbearable sense of tension. And then instead we get this giant orchestral sweep, the desert theme that begins. And you know that this is Lawrence of Arabia when you mm -hmm. see. And you need to see this film on the big screen to convey the vastness of the landscape. You really feel how alone and tiny Lawrence is and how vast the desert is. So the music does an incredible job of conveying the vastness, the beauty, and the awe of the desert landscape on this simple but very beautiful shot. The movie just screams epic in this very first, the very first sequence. Jar's score is doing anything throughout the film. Ultimately, it is really to make this film feel even bigger, even more epic than it actually is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting how empty so much of the film actually is. And, you know, you think of epic as scenes with tons of soldiers and battles. And of course, the film does have that too. But almost half the film is just this vastness and this emptiness. And instead of the score being nihilistic, it's epic. It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. And it really makes you feel awed by the vastness of nature in the desert. This second clip really makes the point about how the musical score helps create the expansive feel that David Lean is going for. Right. So this is the scene in which Lawrence has gone back to rescue one of his young assistants, who the others have left for dead. Basically, Omar Sharif has told him that's an impossible task. This is fate. The desert has taken this young boy. You've got to leave things alone. And instead, Lawrence decides he's going to go back and rescue the boy. So again, at the beginning of the scene, Jar and David Lean are content to let the scene begin in silence. And when the score does begin, I love how gently he builds tension. Here the score is actually subjective in that sense that it's really what's going on inside of the head of the young boy. I think the effect that Jar is going for is that the young boy is dazed, he's exhausted by the hot sun, he's been out in the sun days probably, and hoping for a miracle. Absolutely, and the score conveys a lot of that inner emotional tension through the use of very quiet strings that are actually playing tremolo, which means that the musicians are moving their bows very, very quickly back and forth across the strings. And that just produces this nervous effect that really I think can be heard as a reflection of the anticipation that the boy is feeling inside at that moment. So yes, very subjective. Right. And in terms of that anticipation and nervous energy, I think what the score is also doing is capturing the motion of riding on the camel and that energy and movement. And the anticipation that perhaps the hope of the miracle might be founded in some reality, right? He's building tension that something good is actually about to happen. And it's the score that's doing that. It's the narrative that the score is creating. And then the score evolves right back into that same, I call it the desert score, mm -hmm. but it's the, it's the score that we heard in the last scene. And Lean gives us the same moving shots to convey the energy that the joy of the incipient reunion is going to have. And the score matches this energy. Hey! 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 
it would be incredibly moving without the score, but with the score, it gives it such emotion, humanity, and epicness, I guess you could mm -hmm. call it. Sure. And the reunion moment is amazing to me because Lean shoots it in long shot instead of close up. So that the most important elements of the shot are the landscape and the score. The landscape is so immense, and that helps the audience understand how miraculous it is that Lawrence was able to find the boy. The score communicates the joy of the reunion that 99% of other lesser directors would just show in close-ups on the actors' faces, hmm. and instead, Lean lets the landscape tell the story. Okay, that's really interesting. And yes, this is truly one of the great moments, I think, in all of film, because the visuals and the music make everything just, again, feel so big. is another one of those great moments in film. This is the moment when Lawrence becomes bigger than life, almost as expansive as the Middle Eastern desert that we've been seeing all along. To set this up just a bit, Lawrence is leading the Arabs across the Nefid Desert, and one of them, a character named Gazim, has gotten tired and dehydrated and has fallen by the wayside. When Lawrence realizes this, he wants to go back and rescue him, but the Omar Sharif character tells him to forget it, to leave Gazim for dead, saying that Gazim's fate is written. It is written, in other words, that Gazim will die in the desert. But Lawrence does go back to rescue Gazim, and that line, it is written, actually ends up being prophetic in a different kind of way later on in the scene. Right. This is the moment when he brings the boy back into camp, basically brings the boy back from the dead like a god. And David Lean, as we mentioned before, he's one of the great filmmakers to understand that the movie's job is to communicate emotion and story visually rather than with dialogue, and that score is an essential tool for him. So here you have a scene of joyful reunion as Lawrence brings the boys back to the camp. Daoud! Daoud! And Lean conveys everything he needs to the audience on an emotional level without dialogue. If you put dialogue in the scene, it would be utterly banal and it would sort of make the moment feel smaller mm. and less epic. So it's a great example of visual filmmaking. People think of screenwriting as dialogue, but this is what true screenwriting is here. The score tells you exactly what the characters are feeling without them having to say it. And then again, it rises to a scene about a great moment of what people like Lawrence can achieve, rather than being about only specific individuals. So Jar and Lean tap into sort of a collective emotion with the sweep of the score and the visual power of the shots. It's in this moment that Lawrence becomes a legend rather than just an ordinary man. The score is communicating that to us. It's a key moment of the film and the score helps you understand that these boys and men will be telling the story of this rescue to their children and grandchildren as the legend of Lawrence of Arabia is cemented. And the only thing Lawrence says to the Omar Sharif character when he returns with Gazim is, Nothing is written. Nothing is written. So Lawrence has totally defied the man's fate. He has rescued the man from the fate of dying in the desert. 
And, you know, if you were to subtract the score from this scene, you'd just see different angles on basically a crowd scene as the different Arab men surround Lawrence, who's still on the back of a camel. But without the music, you wouldn't be able to tell for a while whether the men who are surrounding Lawrence are happy, angry, or agitated. The score really does, as you say, carry all that information. One thing I noticed in watching the film, it seems to me that the score does far more work in the first half of the film than it does in the second half of the yeah. film. It seems like the second half of the film almost feels anticlimactic. Yeah, absolutely. And you see Lawrence actually changing. In the first half of the film, he is full of idealism, and, and right. he's a little bit kooky in his idealism. But in the second half of the film, you see a very different Lawrence. You see a Lawrence who's, who keeps being promoted through yeah. the ranks, but he's less and less satisfied with each promotion, you know, so. Right. You're touching on something really interesting, and I think the second half of the film doesn't really work from a screenwriting perspective either, because really the second half of the film is about Lawrence sort of believing his own press that he is a god at this point. So you're basically watching someone devolve and go crazy, which isn't as dramatically interesting as someone who is becoming a legend, becoming a god. That's the stuff of epics. You know, that's the Iliad, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's much more dramatically interesting to watch Lawrence save a young boy against all odds than it is to watch someone go crazy. That's essentially an internal problem. So because of that, you know, you're basically stuck inside Lawrence's head in the second half of the movie. And I don't think Lean, nor the writer, nor the composer really knew what to do with that exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's also very repetitive. We go to the movies to see the first half of this movie, not so much the second half. Yeah. So Maurice Jarre has given us a heroic sounding score for a character who is at first a hero and then sort of an anti-hero kind of falls apart. Yeah, yeah, and he's definitely being used by the British, and he doesn't expect the way that they're going to carve up the territory after World War I, and he doesn't realize that he's an accomplice to it. So he's kind of a tragic figure in that as well. I'm Jennifer Hambrick, midday host of Classical 101, WOSU Public Media in Columbus. I'm John Sherman, associate professor of film at Kenyon College in Gambier, Ohio. You've been listening to Sound Reels, Classical 101's film music podcast. Check out other episodes of Sound Reels at wosu.org slash classical 101 podcast. Also, enjoy even more great music from the movies during the Summer Festival of American Film Music on the American Sound, Saturday evenings at 6 and Tuesdays at 7 on Classical 101 and streaming at wosu.org slash classical 101.